Content warnings can be found in the episode description. Welcome back to The Weird Side. Thank you for your support throughout this ordeal. Last week, we heard Aidan's recordings, and, well, I'm sure you'd much rather hear from Aidan himself. Hi, everyone. I'm back. Safe and sound. Well, yeah, I guess you could say that. If you don't feel up to it, we don't have to. No, I'm, I'm okay. It's well past time. Only if you're sure. It's been a while since we sat in front of these microphones together. I think that we both needed time and space away from, well, everything. And I'm sorry for keeping you all in the dark for so long, but to present the clearest, most factually correct story of my time with the what? With the cult? I need a little while to come to terms with what actually happened. Followed by a police-recommended series of ongoing sessions with a therapist slash cult deprogrammer. So, without further distraction, let's get to it. what I can say after my police briefing. Much of their investigation is ongoing, and probably still will be long after this episode comes out. They've been interviewing the members of the cult that were arrested the same day I was rescued, and, well, I'm getting ahead of myself already. We should really script these, you know. We could, although last time I tried to script things, you said it lacked organic storytelling flair. I suppose that's right. Makes the first in a long while, I guess. Okay. The cult members are currently being processed, interviewed, and charges brought against them. The murder of Albert Lockton. Kitty, we we never even said his full name. We didn't even do him that justice, and now he's... Aiden. He was only there because he was talking to us, saying too much. Aiden, you can't know that. Not for sure. He was taken after we spoke to him. They're being charged with his murder, and the murder and kidnapping of at least three other people. The missing people we mentioned a few episodes back, uh, Felicity Dalton, Matthew Cho, and Joanna Perry. They were all killed in the same way as... All killed by the Watchers and buried in the bog. I've given my statement, and I will testify whenever and wherever the law needs me to, so hopefully they'll be shut away for life. You're sure that you didn't see Jane, Luke... Whoever she was during the police raid. I don't think so, no. It was intense at the end. I can only imagine. Shall we go back to where we, the listeners, left you? Yeah. After Albert was... I awoke to the large cloaked figure, the, the chain bearer, dragging me back to the house. It was... curiously human violence. A hand around my throat. No strange magic, just a painfully strong grip. I'm not sure if he was as strong as we claimed he could be, but it still hurt like hell. At this close, I could see the person underneath the cloak. He was a pasty-looking man. Maybe 50, 60 years old. Greying hair and a scraggly beard. And Albert's... Do you need a moment? Uh, No, I have to do this. Albert's blood was still 
spattered across his face and cloak. I couldn't breathe properly. I tried to get him to let go of me, but he dragged me back to the farmhouse and threw me down onto the cold stone floor. He was mumbling, muttering that they needed more, that it wasn't enough, that the sacrifice wasn't working and he needed to feed the mire or, or suffer the most terrible torment. And, and at that point, Lou came in. She talked him down. She said I could be useful to them, that I was working on the books, that I was making progress where none of them had been able to before, that they needed more people in case their enemies surfaced again. So she suggested... She suggested that she go find someone else to take your place as a sacrifice. I tried to say something, to, to protest, but I could barely breathe. Yeah, and you know how that ended. Badly, for her. The chain bearer liked her idea, though. He gave me a day to finish one of the books, and if I didn't, well, I'd be joining the unlucky soul found to replace me anyway. Then he left, without another word. I'm still bruised from where he held my throat. The recorder? Oh, when, when he left, Lou came up to me. I was still lying on the floor where he'd thrown me, this wet feeling pooling on the back of my head. Blood, I guess. She cradled me and said I was going to be wonderful. That if the chain bearer had agreed to spare me, then she knew I was destined to succeed. And as she held me, I felt myself going in and out of consciousness, teetering between the dull ache of my head and the comfort of the dark. The next thing I know, I was in bed. The windows were all boarded up and all the other furniture gone. Lou was sitting on the edge, gripping my recorder in her hands. She'd found it while I was unconscious. It must have fallen out of my pocket as I was being shaken around by the chain bearer. I tried to convince her it was the key to my translation process, but I wasn't kidding her one bit. She took it. I didn't see her again after that. So I was kept in the room, door locked from the outside. Only opened to slide in the same meal of grain porridge, fish and bread that we'd had during the rest of our imprisonment. No chance to leave. No sharp objects. Just the light and a stack of books and papers. And then... Then the police came. I couldn't actually see what was happening at first. I heard sirens, shouting, someone barking orders. I recognised the sirens as police and I started yelling for help. It all ended pretty quickly after that. An officer broke down the door and helped me out. And all I really saw of the raid was the last few moments. Dylan and Reese on the ground, restrained by four officers. The chain bearer in a police car. He looked terrified and smaller than before. He was clawing to get out, pointing at the bog, screaming something. I was too far away to hear what it was, but probably something about how doomed we all are now that are not watching the dragon and... At this point, I... Never mind. Aiden, they're a homicidal cult. These people live in a fantasy world where they can excuse the murder of innocent people to stop a dragon from waking up. There's no dragon. They're just delusional and dangerous. They believe the same things I do. I did. I don't know anymore. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you want to kill people to stop a magic dragon? What? 
Would you sacrifice me to keep your dragon happy? No, hell no! There we go, then. You don't believe the same things. You're a good person, Aiden. But I did. I almost... Lou, she told me about their mission. You heard it. It was glorious. We were saving the world. What I believed was important. That my knowledge was actually useful. That I was useful and loved and that... Aiden, you are important. Your friends and your family all love you and your knowledge is useful to me. And I know that's not exactly the same as saving the world, but this may be hard to hear. But they didn't care about you. They probably would have said whatever you wanted to hear if it let them worm their way into your head. And Lou? She murdered Albert, a defenceless old man who liked to tell stories. She was manipulating you. I don't like to use this word, but she's evil. It's a worry she hasn't been caught yet. She's dangerous, and we don't know what she's going to do now the cult's been dealt with. I don't think she's see any use in coming back for us. She's a murderer. We have a police car sitting outside for a reason. I still think we should move the studio. Twice. Maybe set up a second address? I don't think we need to go quite that far. But I guess only time will tell. Did they bring Brian in, by the way? Oh, yes. Good. That I can elaborate on. It was clear he lied about not seeing you. He was caught trying to get on a ferry in Southampton. When the police searched his house, they found enough evidence to link him with the disappearances and murders of at least two of the other victims. He was the eyes of the group, pointing them towards people that needed to be dealt with. Nasty piece of work. Are you okay to keep going? I am. Um, I wanted to talk a bit about the books that I managed to get through while I was... Away. The ones they asked you to translate? It was difficult. I haven't studied these languages since uni, and even then, translation was never my speciality. Especially under pressure. I always had at least one dictionary on me when I was dealing with any texts older than the Enlightenment. Did you translate any of them? Yes and no. Several of the books were more well-known legends, written in Old Irish and Welsh, the Time Colonia and the Mabinogion. I didn't translate them, not fully at least, so... I'm not sure how different they were in the telling of the tale. But from what I could make out, the names and places seemed familiar, from Satanta to the Prince of Devon. And the other books? Ah, yeah. They weren't the traditional legends. I was slowly building up a lexicon and was starting to recognise certain names and places, although there was nothing that I found linking them to what I knew about medieval history or Celtic legend. I couldn't read much more. They were well out of my wheelhouse and I wasn't making any real headway. Now I never will. And honestly, after everything, I'm not sure how much I can even remember about them. Oh, actually, one more thing about the raid. Talking about the books brought it back. There were two other people at the raid who weren't police. Oh? You didn't mention them before? It was such a jumble, sorry. After I was escorted out of the farmhouse, these two people arrived. They were wearing suits and were... Obviously important, as the officers gave them plenty of space. Suit suits? Smart suits? Yeah, proper tailored ones. Hmm. Special branch? They never said as much? I don't think. It's all a little hazy. The adrenaline, I guess. You've just gone through hell. I'll give you a pass. Mm. Just to confirm, you didn't have to sign anything to say that you couldn't discuss this? Not that I remember. Great. What did they want? They asked me some questions. They were very polite. I think. Do you remember any of their questions? I know they're asking about the cult. They asked about the ritual and what happened that night. And 
if I'd said anything, if they'd made me speak any words. They took all the books away with them, too. Mm. Building a case file. You'd already given your statement to the police at this point, right? No, this was as I was sitting in the ambulance, way before my statement. The one thing that I do remember clearly is that when it came out that I believed in the paranormal, they were insistent that the rituals and the cult, that everything I'd seen or experienced were the delusions of dangerous people, that I was safe now and that the cult had been dealt with. Good for them. I'm glad that they could help calm you with that. Uh, it did help, yeah. I think that's enough detail. I'm safe now and I'm getting the support I need. Kitty and I have taken the time between my rescue and this recording to talk through what happened the night I was captured. Um, and we're okay. We settle on the fact that the mistakes were mutual. The blame for the fight too. And so were the apologies. Best kept off the record. Lots of crying. Hey, I've missed you. I missed you too. Well... This fieldwork ended up being more intense than we planned for, especially for our first proper excursion. Yeah, reading about murder is nothing like actually seeing it in person and knowing with a bone-deep certainty you're next. But you made it out alive. That's the main thing. Alive. I can't imagine what it must have been like. Following that thread, I have a question for you. Yeah? After all of this, with everything that we've been through, after everything that you've been through, shall we go back to a desk-based show? Do you want my answer on record? Doesn't have to be. <sighs> Leave it on. I don't think so. But there are some things I need to process before any final decisions are made. Of course. Take all the time you need. Thanks. My turn for a question. Mm? This John Martin. Who is he? How did he know so much? Funny you should ask. As he was key to me finding you, I've been in touch with him. Oh? He's coming down for a chat in a few days. He agreed to dissect what we know about the cult for our listeners, and he wants to talk to you. What? Really? I know you're going to get on, but only if you're up for it, of course. Heck yeah, I am. And here we are. Yep, with the magic of editing, two days skipped as if it was nothing. And joining us is the aforementioned John Martin. Hello, glad to be here. <laughs> Oof, my apologies, it's uh, certainly a little intimate in here. Ah, sorry about that. We don't normally have guests on, and this little space is all we could afford in our current income. That's on me. I blew through our budget over the last few weeks. Oh, don't worry. I've been in smaller spaces with more folk. I was just wondering about the choice of seating. Well, often you see a kitchen chair in a recording room, but uh, at least not in my limited experience. If you don't stop critiquing our setup, you can sit on it instead of me. Guest or no? Fair enough, Miss Moore. Shall we get the ball rolling then? Aidan, mm -hmm. you've taught me through your experiences with the Watchers of the Buried Dragon. and I believe I can help you get to the bottom of what was going on. That would be brilliant. Excellent. So, after Catherine first got in contact, I had a scour through my library and had a chat with some old contacts. Hence you leading me to the dragon and the then hypothetical cult surrounding it. Indeed. The more I looked into the dragon in the local area, the less convinced I was that it was based on anything more than mistaken identity. Properly boring. <laughs> it served as enough inspiration for you to latch onto something. 
As it did for the people who captured Eden. They said their group went back centuries. That they were descended from the original people who watched over the dragon. That is correct. That's what they did believe. As with many cults and sects, if you introduce knowledge as something old, esoteric and a secret kept long hidden, it gains certain unquestionable mystique. Did you find yourself questioning it, Aiden? <sighs> no. Not really. I mean, at first maybe. But when they started to initiate you into their secrets, it felt powerful and right. As hard as it is to admit, yes, I was taken in. Utterly. The same as many people every single day. There's no shame in wanting to believe. I found telling half-truths and lies is so much easier than convincing people of the whole truth. But before you hit out with your doubt, Catherine, I was telling you no lies. By your own admission, that's not telling the whole truth. The information we discussed was enough for you to get to where you most likely needed to go. And you knew this how? Did you believe it was your fate? You're weird. No. Maybe. Regardless, I knew it was the right way to go. I have a strong gut feeling for these things. It was clear that whatever was going on with the watch was a bastardization of a myth, a belief distorted into a cruel facsimile of faith over time. It could be the case that the folktale of a boar, beast, dragon has warped across generations of retellings. However, that certainly does not explain the methods of execution and sacrifice. Those came from a far earlier time. The Iron Age, right? The fact I was given the same foodstuffs found in the stomachs of multiple prehistoric bog bodies suggests they had to have had other influences. Exactly. And if these people had been around for centuries, well, you'd have thought there would be more bog bodies to be found in the New Forest. There might be. Lou said that their main house, where her parents died, was attacked several years before. I'd assume that there were hundreds more bodies there. Maybe the bodies of those poor people who disappeared in the 1980s. And do you have a location for this home? No, she never told me. You'd think finding a large manor house that burnt down would be easy, surely. It can't be that common. One would think. Albert appeared to know more than he let on. And Lou mentioned that the chain bearers were the lords of the manor. But, well, which manor? I'm sure Catherine could go through the records of potential ghastly fires. And... I already have. And? There's nothing. No records of anything. No newspaper articles, no photographs. Nothing. Exactly. Now, we know that the Watchers believed in a twisted version of reality. Anyone with any sense knows that there's nothing dark and dangerous sleeping below the new forest bogs. No risk about falling in, of course. <laughs> Did Lou say how old she was when the fire happened? Only that she was very young. If you tell yourself a lie often enough, it becomes your truth. I've spoken to the police in charge of this investigation and they told me about some of the Watchers' statements. They just let you have this information? It's quite remarkable what the right connections can get you. Though, I must mention, Catherine, I can honestly say you did your best, considering your resources. Thanks. What they told me was that the chain bearer had another name. Owen. No second name, no birth certificate, no national insurance record, or anything official. So, Owen had likely been in the cult all of his life. Like Lou, but was an adult when the gas leak happened. Or the attack. We can get to that in a moment. Now, after the fire killed many of the high-ranking members of the cult, he was the only one who escaped who possessed an approximate knowledge of how to continue their great work. So, he, obviously reluctant... Obviously. He took on the mantle and all the apparent burdens and the benefits. Although I can safely say he displays no signs of ageless grace or the strength of many men. Further proof that whatever they believe is complete fiction. 
Not that we really believed any of that in the first place. So it was just a placebo then? He dragged me by the neck. A cruel act of violence. But nothing that can't be dropped up to adrenaline. Owen, however, he believed that he deserved the prowess supposedly given to the chain bearers when they took on the mantle of leadership. And, clearly, that he had not been gifted that strength must have meant that the sacrifices were not working as intended. I never really understood that bit. The dragon seemed to grant the chain bearers power, but the entire watch... The entire cult was devoted to locking it away. The anger of the dragon gave the chain bearers their power, allegedly. Leaps of faith and moving logical goalposts are hallmarks of this kind of belief. You know, for someone who styles himself as a mystic, I'm actually starting to quite like you. I would have thought that me helping you find your friend would have been enough for you to like me. But, uh, well, that being said, I do believe in the strange and the wonderful Miss Moore. It would not be in my current profession if I did not. About that? Ah, yes. Mr. Summers. Your faith is a little shaken, it seems. Now, tell me. Why do you feel so bad for wanting to help people? What? You said it yourself. You wanted to make a difference. You thought you could change the world for the better. Yeah, I was so willing to drop everything and join a killer cult who just kidnapped me. Not so. The minute you saw the truth of the matter, you realised... I realised that people who believe the same things as me can kill because of those same bloody beliefs. The same stories. Humans hurt and kill each other over stories all the time. That's not unique to people who believe in the paranormal. I would gently suggest sitting with your reasons for believing, truly examining them, and what they mean for you. I'd be surprised if you find the capacity to hurt others for your own power in there. All right. I will. Can we talk more about the Watchers? Uh, the meaning behind the bog body is still lost on me. Hmm. What are your current theories? I have more thoughts and theories at this point. Well, the Watchers seem to use both the act of the murder itself as well as the continued presence of the body in the sacrificial location, the bog, as part of their ritual. But why not use a more contemporary means of killing someone? Contemporary to the time of the legend, I mean. Being hung, drawn and quartered. Would it carry the same meaning? Well, both are clearly rituals. The latter was used as a form of punishment. That's true. I suppose the Watchers didn't see these deaths as punishment. More of a donation of strength or knowledge necessary to keep the seals from breaking. That's not to say the medieval world did not have its martyrs. You're quite correct in highlighting that this was a group whose belief system did not match up with its time, either when the boar or dragon was killed or now. I should hope not now. There are some accounts by Greek and Roman authors who should be taken with a healthy dose of scepticism that mention several Celtic, specifically Gaulish, gods having different favourite methods of sacrifice, from hanging to drowning to burning. Much of this, and the charges of cannibalism from authors like Pliny, can be chalked up as slander to whip up more xenophobia against these cultures from the civilised corners of the world, and to provide ample evidence that they should stamp out these barbaric practices once and for all. That being said, bodies like Lindoman show that the Celtic peoples did indeed kill in ways very reminiscent of what was being written about them. Sacrificial? Well... The fact that everything about his death and the days before it were carefully controlled and resembles many of the other bog bodies does tend to favour that argument. So it's clear this is an Iron Age ritual practice. How is it linked to late medieval Hampshire then? Gwyn Badud Yoskut. Gesundheit. Wait, wait. I saw that in some of their books. Now that is interesting. I'd have loved to go over them. But it seems they're all classed as essential evidence and there's no budging there. Yeah, the two people in suits took them. We think special branch. 
Ah, well. In that case, there's no sense crying over spilt milk. Uh, but the phrase, if I'm not mistaken, that's from Irish literature. That's right. Wounding, drowning, burning. It's linked with kingly death and sacrifice. A threefold death, or a, a riddle death. A riddle death? These deaths, linked to prophecies, seemingly impossible conditions for the death of a great king or powerful being. <clears throat> Macbeth shall never vanquished be until great Burnham Wood to high Dunisnane Hill shall come against him, or none of woman born shall harm him. That kind of thing. A removal of the certainties of the either and the or. Riddle deaths place the dying in a cognitive liminality, straddling the threads of life and death here and there. These deaths were meant to connect and resonate with the other world. A riddle death is a tool used to explore the ambiguous relationship between the natural and the supernatural worlds. We see examples of this in literature well into the medieval period, so it certainly would not have been unknown at the time when the dragon came into being. If you are interested, I have written a brief paper on it. I know what I'm reading next. But if the local townspeople were being marauded by a particularly aggressive boar, and there's no aid from king or clergy... Then perhaps folktales might take hold. That is, of course, assuming this cult did stretch back to the 15th century, and it was not just the fanciful concoction of someone using the power of stories, and humanity's natural fascination with the supernatural to garner more power for themselves to satisfy whatever sick games they wanted to play. But you said there was evidence of riddle deaths through the medieval period. Not in the local area, there isn't. Oh. However... There are places in this world, in these isles, places in the New Forest even, where folk memory runs deep and stories live strong. Whether true or not, those stories are closely linked with the land and its people, and that in itself is a kind of magic. The dragon of Biston is such a story. I can safely say that this cult was a parasite, an entirely mundane group of people fooled into thinking there was something greater. And they sure fooled me. But now you know, Eden. You can put that knowledge to good use going forward. There's always the discussion of why one should ever perform a human sacrifice. But I ask, who needs an excuse? I'm sorry? Human sacrifice is a mad thing to do. So, following that logic, if you do it, then your reasons must be beyond any rational explanation. And you're using human sacrifice as a cover for the banal, detestable exercise of power, murder and terror. <sighs> now, with that, I really must be getting on. I'm already cutting it fine to get the train. This was just too fascinating a discussion to miss. Now, don't lose too much faith, either of you. You'd be ashamed to forsake all the stories you've yet to explore and what I feel are the many more you have left to tell. That was about it. I think we covered most of what we needed to talk about with him. Yeah, uh, at some point, I think we need to get back in contact. Uh, perhaps once. Once? I'll figure it out. Okay, back to our New Forest experiences. I think we need some closure. We're not going back. No, definitely not. I just mean talking through our findings. Good. Well, the Red King investigation's already wrapped up. I know you feel strongly about your encounter. We both feel, or felt, strongly about our encounters. I can't help but put two and two together with what we now know about the cult. And for me, that's case closed. That only leaves the cult pixie. Yeah, about that. You listen to my recording. I want to believe you, but we've nothing to back it up. And while the last thing that I want to do at this point is invalidate your experiences, you were incredibly stressed. Stressed or not, I know what I saw. 
Well, linking back to what we were talking about with Mr. Martin, I've done a little research of my own. Your food. You said it was similar to what they found in the stomachs of several Iron Age bog bodies. Yeah, I really should have clocked that way earlier. You were literally kidnapped and in the middle of being coerced by a cult. And being forced to eat mouldy grains. Don't beat yourself up. But I've found some studies on plant macrofossils and pollen remains in bog bodies' guts. Oh, on the uh, quality and type of grains they were eating? Mm-hmm. Now, what do you know about St Anthony's fire? The dancing plague? Yes. 16th century. And beyond. It was linked with the consumption of ergot, a fungus that grows on rye, wheat and similar plants. Common symptoms of ergot consumption are hallucinations and distorted perceptions. There were traces of ergot in the stomachs of some bog bodies, but it likely wasn't enough to cause major hallucinations. What are you getting at? I asked the police to have a look at the food that you were served, to test it for chemicals and drugs. Really? They kidnapped you. It wouldn't be out of character. The only thing they found were traces of ergot. Now, I'm not saying that you imagined it, but you said yourself the bread tasted mouldy. I know what I saw, Kitty. And I believe that you believe it, Aiden. And nothing is going to change that. But we can't say anything for sure with a statement like this. It's just like the Red King all over again. What? I just... I missed this. I never thought I'd say it, but I actually missed my evidence being torn to shreds. I'm sorry, I didn't mean no, to... No, it's fine. Really. I'm not saying that there's nothing there. And I'm not saying that we didn't encounter something weird... I just mean to say that we can't prove that we saw anything. I, I don't think going back there would be good for us or our listeners. No, you're right. They can make up their own minds about the cold pixie. That being said, it was interesting that I encountered it again during my captivity. I really don't think the cult and the cult pixie are related at all. Mm, that's supported by Albert being okay talking about the cult pixie, but not about the cult when we first met him. I guess the cult pixie is just another unsolved mystery, then. Having said that, mm. I think throughout our time in the New Forest, we've had some pretty convincing first-hand encounters, and we've managed to get some recordings that I would consider as evidence. Very tentatively, but go on. What if this is what we're meant to do? What if this is what I was meant to do from the start? What are you talking about? I think it's time we had a chat about why I'm into all of this. Again, we can do this privately. No, we should record it. All right. Well, if you change your mind later, we can always take this out. Thanks. Where to start? Um, I grew up in southwest Shropshire, in the Clun Valley. Pretty idyllic, really. I didn't know that. I'm sorry I didn't tell you. I, I hope you'll understand why soon. Clun Valley. Rural rolling hills. Mill streams and brooks babbling next to sheep. A whole lot. It was a great childhood for someone who loved to be outside exploring. Now, honestly, I've always loved a good story. Scary or not, about knights and fairies or Robin Hood and me and Daniel. We loved acting them out. Daniel? Dan? Yeah. Sorry. I'll stop interrupting. And that's okay. So, um... 
So Dan and I were pretty much inseparable. Our parents met in one of those pregnancy groups, you know, pairing up with people who are expecting about the same time as you are. And they all got on, and well, so did we, pretty much from birth. Dan was always the more athletic one. He was walking weeks before I could, but I pipped him on the first word, moon, apparently. So, so Dan and I went to the same schools and playgroups, and from about five or six onwards, we'd make up these immersive and expansive worlds. Spend literally days pretending to be heroes and villains and monsters and royalty, only stopping for food and sleep. Sounds like your D&D campaigns. <sighs> yeah. I never grew out of that, apparently. We also fought. A lot. Creative differences. Sometimes we'd really clash. We'd get too much for each other. Not see each other for days at a time. Then, when we next met up, it would be like nothing had ever happened. Back to creating worlds and living stories, as usual. A tumultuous artistic relationship, my mum called it. One time when we were about eight. We were out walking around the local woods just outside Dan's parents' property. They, they let us roam surprisingly far considering we were that young. We met this group of older kids, maybe six or, or seven of them. Nice enough, I guess. They were just lounging around, doing what teenagers did when away from adults, you know, drinking, smoking, swearing. Nothing overly dangerous, or to us at least. One of the guys saw us running around in the forest and called us over. Dan, being the brave one as usual, just strolled over and demanded to know why they were on the land of the righteous King Bartholomew, the king who our heroes served in the stories. The older kids laughed and, to their credit, played along a little bit. I'm saying they were travelling through and could tell us stories of monsters. So, naturally, both Dan and I were intrigued. We sat and listened to the kids tell a really, really jumbled up tale. You've heard of Jenny Greenteeth, right? Hmm. The water spirit. Hmm. So these older kids, they told us about Jenny Greenteeth. About how every once in a while she'd get hungry and prowl downstream, looking for children to take. It didn't help we were right by the river, and when the oldest boy was describing her, Someone else splashed a stick in the water, and I, I almost wet myself right there. The teenagers laughed and laughed. Dan and I ran all the way home. I don't think I slept very well for a good month or two after that. Maybe a year or so passed, and I tried to move on from the story, but something about the idea of grasping hands in the cold moonlight kept creeping back in. Dan and I still played together, the same stories, the same worlds, but we were out later and later. So late that Dan actually got grounded for missing dinner two nights in a row. I... I remember that weekend. I finished reading my nightly chapter of The Hobbit and um, I was curled up in bed. Dan had been annoyed at his parents for cutting short a weekend of fun and me at mine for scolding me for encouraging him to ignore his schoolwork. He was falling behind a little. I heard a tap at my bedroom window. It was Dan. He'd climbed up the tree nearest the house and was throwing pebbles. He'd escaped. 
the noble knight had fought his way through the dungeons and out away from the evil tyrant's castle and he did an ally so i agreed I scrambled out of my window and almost immediately fell to the ground. I sprained my ankle. I don't think I screamed. I just went over to him, hobbling and trying not to cry. Okay. This is harder than I thought it would be. Do you want to stop? I'm fine. I just need to get through this. For everyone's sake. My therapist said that closure is important. Sharing my experiences and feelings with people close to me is... is key. Okay. So I got across the garden to him and he... he supported me. I took his arm and he helped me through the back gate and down the short path to the wood. It was way past sunset. And by the time we got to the same hollow the older kids were lounging in before, it was closer to ten, maybe. Enough for the moon to be the only thing lighting our way. We were chatting as usual, telling each other stories, playing brave heroes out on a quest to cover up how absolutely terrified we were. Or at least how scared I was. When we reached the river, Dan decided it was a good time for a swim. It was early August and the muggy English summer was in full swing, so the cool water didn't sound like such a bad idea. But the stories. I wanted to go back. I was so close to tears when Dan jumped in and beckoned me to follow. My ankle was still hurting, so I hung my feet in the river as Dan splashed back and forth, laughing. I felt something slip by my foot, cold and slimy. I screamed and scrambled back, but Dan kept laughing. He said it was a fish. He saw a little fish swim by my foot. I, I closed my eyes for just a second to calm myself down. Dan screamed. It was so hard to open my eyes. When I did, I saw a pair of arms around him. Long, green, covered in reeds and moss. Fingers held his mouth open as the arms pulled him down into the water. Aiden. I managed to get some courage and stumble up to the edge of the water. Crashing in, it was dark and cold. Colder, way, way colder than I remembered when my feet were in it. Something was wrapped around Dan like a snake. He was, he was still screaming. I made it over to him and, and tried to get whatever was on him off. I kicked and bit and screamed. I, I almost passed out when my sprained ankle collided with something cold and slimy. And the 
next thing I know, I was on the bank, adults all around me. I was holding Dan. There were river grasses and reeds wrapped around him. He wasn't moving. If I'd been braver, if I'd been quicker, if I'd been better at climbing, I wouldn't have hurt my ankle and I could have helped. If I was stronger, if I was anything more than a scared, stupid little child, my friend would still be alive. Dan's parents never spoke to me or my parents again. They blamed me for Dan's death. I mean, how could they not? I blame me. It was my fault. Just like Albert. So, yeah, there we go. The mask comes off. I'm chasing after shadows and stories because someone I loved was taken away by something I can't explain. Because if there's even a single chance that it was supernatural, then maybe I can forget the fact it was most likely just weeds trapping Daniel underwater. I failed to rescue my friend from a calm river. Maybe if I find the truth, then this might not happen to other people. Aiden, I'm so sorry to hear that. I... Giddy, I want to go back. Is that bad? Does that make me a bad friend? I, I want to go back and put this to rest as best I can. Now, after facing whatever it was in that fog, the cult, and just everything else, I need to go back and find out one way or another. And if we find nothing? Then I'm done. Wait. We? Yes. It goes without question that I'm coming with you. No, that's not what I mean. You can't change my mind. Thank you. I guess we'll have to figure out our next steps then. We have my witness testimony and I can get us back to, to where it happened. I just... And you weren't. What? A bad friend. Not back then, not now. Let's get prepped. You know what? Yeah. It's going to take some doing, but... But yeah. Please join us next time for the final investigation of the season, if, if not ever, where we look into the legend of Jenny Greenteeth and the testimony of Aidan Summers. M. Barrow here, co-creator of The Weird Side and voice of Catherine Moore. We're really excited to be featuring a trailer from the Attic Monologues on today's episode. If you enjoyed The Weird Side, you may also enjoy this queer urban fantasy slash horror podcast. They've just started to release season two, so now's the perfect time to catch up. We'll put the links to their socials in the episode description, so please do go check them out. Thank you for listening. A boy is dragged into the dark. 
he does not understand the full extent of why this is. He does not understand yet that he is chosen. But he will. But this, this is not that story. Stories are like their protagonists. They come and they go, and they are interchangeable, mostly. You have been waiting in the dark. It is a metaphorical dark, unlike the one that came before you. And yet you have been walking in your dark for so long that when the light comes, you are sure it will break you. It sears your eyes and burns your skin and your very bones feel bleached and torn out under a microscope. And yet it is only the first of many suns and each will burn brighter than the last. You think, in the end, you might have preferred the darkness after all. The Attic Monologues is a queer urban fantasy horror podcast featuring meta-narratives, friends to lovers, mental health exploration, and far too many sentient trees. Season 2 launches August 30th. Catch up on Season 1 today. The Weird Side will return. If you enjoyed the programme, please help support the podcast by giving us a follow on social media, at The Weird Side on Twitter and Instagram, by leaving a review on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this, and sharing it with anyone who might enjoy it. As a small production, this really helps us out. Thank you all for listening.